in our third session on Ephesians 4, 25 to 29, I've got something really challenging to deal with, namely this motive right here. Therefore, having put away falsehood, so you're not going to lie anymore to your fellow Christians or to others, but the focus here is on, on fellow Christians. We're members of one another. Having put away falsehood, speak truth, each with his neighbor, and here's the motive, for we are members of one another. Members of one another. Let me pray about this. Father, this, this looks like my motivation is that I should be very much involved in self-care here. A person could twist this and make it sound selfish. Since you are a member of me, I'm not going to lie to you because really all I care about is me. So, Father, I'm sure that's not what this means. What then does it mean? How are we to think of this motivation? Please help us. Please help us. We want to be motivated in a Christian way. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get behind us or underneath us the strong uh, commitment that Paul feels to um, the body of Christ in this letter. So here's Ephesians 1. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is, this is the, the believer's are the body of Christ. And one day they're going to fill all in all as the extension and manifestation of himself. Ephesians 2.16, he reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the emphasis falling on the fact that Jew and Gentile both in one body are united in our reconciliation to God. Ephesians 3, 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Jew and Gentile, one body, the whole emphasis over and over, body, both uh, Jew and Gentile members, therefore unified, unified. Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your call, emphasizing the unity that we all individually have as we are members of the one body. Or Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. So all of our work, all of our ministry as individuals in the church are to build up the body. That's what we devote ourselves to do. Or chapter 4.15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, the head of the body, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part member is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's hard to miss the fact that in Ephesians, 
the idea, the, the vision, the reality that Jesus Christ is viewed in his earthly manifestation now as a body, namely the church with individual members. And Paul puts it like this in Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as in one body, we have many members, so hand, leg, foot, eye, ear, nose, elbow, shoulder, spine, and members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And then here it comes. This is what Paul says in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians 4.25. And individually members of one another. So it's not just that there's a body, right? And this hand belongs to the body, and this hand belongs to the body. The, this is saying, no, no, this hand belongs to this hand. Since they're part of the body, they are members of each other. This hand is one piece with that hand. We all know how that works, right? If, if this hand accidentally with a hammer smashes the thumb of this hand, this hand does not say, you should have gotten out of the way. It cringes, it cringes, it grabs the thumb, it cradles the thumb, it protects the thumb, it, it can't help it. Being a member of the one body makes us a member of each other. Now, Paul uses that as a motivation, and it sounds strange, but look, it's not strange in Paul's mind because he attributes it to Jesus. Remember Acts 5, 23 to 30? The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, all right? His body and is himself its savior. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her and the her is his body. He died for himself. In that sense, I'm rescuing my body. I don't want my body in hell. Jesus doesn't want his body in hell. It's his body that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Not only does he not want his own body in hell, he wants his body beautiful. I want a bride that is beautiful for me, and my bride is my body, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Love your neighbor as yourself in this case. Love your wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So he's really meaning the fact that we are members of each other, and because we're members of each other, when we love each other, we love ourselves. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his body. He's nourishing, nourishing and cherishing his own body. Now, that's the same argument 
that Paul is using here in Ephesians 4. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth to each other, each to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. When you speak the truth to another, you are speaking the truth to yourself. Now, here's what I'm trying to avoid. I'm trying to avoid saying that's a basic appeal to selfishness, as if it were to mean, oh, I don't really care about you. I only care about me. And since you're part of me, I care about you, but you don't really matter to me. That's a contradiction. Think about it. Let's, let's, let's say you're walking along, and here's a cliff, and this is a thousand feet down. Boom, boom, boom. And your eye can see that's a cliff. If my foot takes one more step, I'm dead. My, eye, I'm, my eyeballs will be shattered on the rocks. 1,000 feet down, if my foot goes over the edge. So the, the eye does not tell a falsehood to the foot and say, I don't care what you do, foot. Go ahead. Kill yourself for all I care. You don't matter to me. All that matters to me is my eyes. Is that the way Paul is thinking? No, because it's a blatant contradiction. He's thinking something far more radical than that. You, you can't say, since you are part of me, members of one another, since you are part of me, and I care about me only, therefore I won't tell you a lie because that would be like telling me a lie, and I only care about me. As soon as you say, I only care about me, you have denied the fact that they are you. Got it? So here's the, here's the amazing thing. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. James says that's the royal law. In other words, all the self-care that you spend on yourself, like you don't walk out in front of trucks, you eat breakfast and lunch, you get sleep at night, you take an aspirin if you have a headache, you go to the doctor, you provide a house over your head, all these self-love acts that you rightly take, because suicide is wrong, all of them, you should make that self-care the measure of your care for your neighbor. That's what Jesus said. It's a very radical command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That doesn't mean esteem your neighbor as you esteem yourself. It means care for your neighbor as you care for yourself, because you all care for yourself. Nobody ever hated his own flesh, Paul said in Ephesians 5. So when the neighbor becomes a Christian, then the ethical impulse goes up a notch, and he doesn't just say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, love your neighbor because he is yourself. And if you try to turn this into a selfish motive, it contradicts the very reality that he is you. If you say, I only care about me, but I don't care about you. I only care about my nose, but not my foot. 
you are basically saying the foot is not you because you can't claim self-care and then not care for yourself. That's a contradiction. This is really profound. And I commend to all of you, all of you, is there anybody that you are tempted, any Christian, let's say, let's just leave it at Christian, any Christian that you have spoken misleadingly to, you've misled them, you've said something or done something false to them, Paul would say, Think deeply, pray deeply, trust deeply. They are members of you. It's your hand, your foot, your eye, your fingers, your leg that you have lied to. And to care about that is not to be selfish. It's to say, you and I will be united as one forever. Forever. Therefore, I will love you as I love myself because you are myself.